everyone. This is Amanda Borchel Dan. And I'm Jessica Steinberg, your host for Times Will Tell, a weekly podcast from the Times of Israel. Hello, Times Will Tell listeners. It's Jessica Steinberg here this week with best selling author Faye Kellerman, whose final installment in her Decker Lazarus series, the new book The Hunt, comes out this August. In this book, which I just finished, we're back with Detective Peter Decker and his wife, Rena, and they are boarding a plane to Israel. And there's a crisis. Uh, Peter Decker finds out about a new case. A body is found in the woods where a man went missing. And that's not the only crisis, of course. We've also got this very intensive situation with Teresa McLaughlin, the biological mother of Peter and Rena's foster son, Gabe. She is fleeing a messy divorce, and one of her two children is kidnapped. And... It end, and she ends up turning to Gabe's father, her ex, a former hitman. So there's some very, very intensive drama here and plenty of crime, punishment, suspense, really all the things that you expect from a, K, from a Faye Kellerman novel. Um, and it feels very far from Faye Kellerman's real life, <laughs> or at least certain parts of it. But first, let me, let me turn to Faye and say, hello, Faye, and welcome to The Times Will Tell. It's very good to have you here with us. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you very much. So it's kind of funny. So in the beginning of the book, Peter and Rena are heading to Israel, where you just returned from where you are living part of the year, or I know that you have a home there. What's your what's your Jerusalem life at this point in time? Um, my husband and I usually go there twice a year for at least a month to six weeks. We like to go in, after the Chagim, after the holidays, in the spring and in the fall. We usually catch one of the holidays or the tail end of one of them, which is just fine with us, too. And they're particularly beautiful uh, times of the season to go there. It's not too hot. It's not too rainy. And we love it there. We've been, we've, um, my husband went to yeshiva there in 68. We honeymooned there in 1972. We've been off and on there for at least, you know, 50 years. So, wow. Yeah. So, uh, definitely a second home for sure. So, Faye, let's talk about the book a little bit because, of course, you're Peter Decker and Rena fans, I'm sure, are eagerly awaiting. And it's your, the last in this series. Mm-hmm. Maybe. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about what made you decide this was going to be it. What brought you to this point with with them? Because I'm sure you're obviously writing other things, but in terms of this partic- these particular protagonists. Actually, I'm I'm taking some time off of writing. Period. Um, I'm going to give. Uh, it's a big birthday this year, a big big birthday, and I want to spend more time with my children and grandchildren and traveling and doing all the things that usually people of my age do. Uh, without something hanging over my head, I it is the last book in the series right now. Who knows what's going to happen. Um, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but as of right now, I'm taking some time off, some extended time off. We'll put it that way. Um, I had envisioned this book in my head from both angles, from the Peter angle and from the Chris and Terry angle for a long, long time, since I introduced these characters way, way back in, in the book Justice. And they have been fans' favorites and... Um, have been have made cameos and sometimes even more than cameos in books along the way. 
so this is what I had thought about for a long, long time. Um, one of the reasons I like it is because the Chris and Terry thing is so dysfunctional compared <laughs> to Decker and Reno, which works like clockwork. Right. It was an interesting comparison and an interesting contrast in what a good relationship should be and what a dysfunctional relationship <laughs> is. And um, the common thread, of course, is uh, Gabe women, uh, their foster kids, and um, Chris and Terry's biological child. And, um, you know, the weirdest, the, the best, sometimes really great kids come from very dysfunctional uh, families, and sometimes really dysfunctional kids come from the so-called really good family. So it, it was interesting for me to write about. No, I'm sure it was a fascinating writing process because really, you know, as you keep on turning the pages and uncovering other parts of the relationships and especially of Chris and Terry, you just you can't really believe that they're that they're involved in what they're involved in and how they each yeah, how their characters basically are unpeeled and unfolded in this. Um, as you say though, it makes a lot of sense in that in that sense to really have that comparison between the two. But how, even though you're saying that you might not say goodbye, what does it feel like when you are writing characters that you know that you might not see for a long time and that you've had these long relationships with? I still feel I have a relationship with Peter and Rena. Mm -hmm. um, I won't give any spoilers away, but they're still very close in my heart and they're very close to where I want them to be and what I want them to be. So I can revisit them if I so desire to do in the future. Um, it's not going to be another series again. It would be like a one-off. Um, Peter wants to do certain things, and Rena wants to do certain <laughs> things, too. They are of that age, and uh, it, they're friends, they're family, they're in my head. And even now, when I say it's my last book, they're still talking to me and going, well, what about this case? What about that case? You can do this, you can do that. So, they're never, they never really disappear. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. So this was something I kept on thinking about, you know, given that you and your husband are both writers. Are there, are there, how many similarities are there or how much do you channel your own merit, marital relationship when you write Peter and Rena or not at all? Meaning how much of you is in them? Um, they are their own unique duo, their own unique relationship, their own unique... Fun. They are not Jonathan and me. They are themselves. However, since all your characters, I hate to say it because there's, I've written some pretty weird characters, <laughs> every single one of those characters that one writes comes out of your brain, they have to be part of you in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, either... Uh, as my editor said uh, about Chris, he really is the other. And that otherness must be somewhere in my brain, because how else could I write somebody like that? Certainly Peter and Rena's um, uh, faith and the way they practice their Judaism and their love for their Judaism it comes out of me. I mean, I couldn't have written 30-some-odd books with two people who are as, you know, pro-Israel and as pro-Judaism and as practicing Jews if I didn't feel that way myself. Right. The passion has to come from somewhere. So let's talk a little bit about that, because, of course, you've never shied away from this 
very long-standing series. You've never shied away from really delving into Judaism in a very intensive way in your books. But we're also living in a different world than we were back when you started this series. What Do you remember what year? Uh, this, the book came out in 1986. 1986. No cell phones, no personal computers. Uh, they still had um, a lot of detective work uh, no DNA either. A lot of wow. detective work has become more technical, you know, with phone tracing and with uh, the, the ability to follow people and phone apps that you can put on and um, locations and a lot of crimes, uh, especially cold cases, come back because they have DNA matches. However, the basics of crime is still detection work. There is still a great deal of brain work where you have to figure out who it is and what it is. And then you do all the technicalities to state your case. But at some point, there has to be some just old-fashioned legwork, old-fashioned brain work to solve a case. And that's what more, that's what I find way more interesting, not, um, you know, little manipulations of this and CCTV. That's great. That's all once you've got something, once you've got a lead somewhere. But, you know, you find a body and unless you know exactly what happened, there has to be some mental work. And that's what Decker's good at. But the series has very much changed. Um, they have evolved, but they're still the same old great couple that they were, I think, way back in 1985. Let's take a quick break from my conversation with best-selling author Faye Kellerman about her latest book, The Hunt, the final installment in her Decker Lazarus series coming out next month in August. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality they make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. And we're back with Faye Kellerman. We're talking about her latest trip to Israel, what it's like writing about Jewish characters, and a few other topics. Going back to that thought about Judaism, Jewish characters, uh, your readership, your audience, what really led you at the very beginning to say, I'm going to bring this Jewishness in deep. I'm really not going to shy away from any of it. Because those of us who either live that life or live near that life or are aware of it and comfortable with it, familiar with it, it's sometimes it's still sometimes of a shock, something of a shock to say, wow, you know, it's, it's like living in Jerusalem in a sense. You know, it's all around you. She gets it. Right. Um, 
You know, when you first write a book, and my first book was The Ritual Bath, you don't know that's your first book, okay? (laughs) You don't know that this is going to get published. So I was writing a little bit of this, writing a little bit of that, and then I kind of narrowed it down to what was important to me and what attached to me, what was feeling to me, what I could write about with passion and with enthusiasm. Because if you're not totally in love with your with your book, how do you expect readers to be in love with your book? So I said, what's important to me? I'm a woman. I have a, a great brain. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. And I'm, you know, I'm a trained dentist, but I didn't want to write about that since Marathon <laughs> Man. But I, I know a lot about anatomy through dental school. And my Judaism, because it's the life that I lived, and it's what was important to me, and it punctuated uh, not only my daily life, but the year. You know, when you live uh, a traditional or semi-traditional or Jews-Raeli kind of life, it's punctuated by holidays, just like Christmas and Easter is for Christians, or, you know, whatever, the Muslim, and it's punctuated. So this is what I wanted to do. So I, Rena came first. She was a truly religious woman, and I wanted to present religion in a way that was accessible and not fanatical. Mm -hmm. Even though she has very, very strong beliefs, she's a human being that you can relate to, because so much of Hollywood presents, any time you have a religious person, they present them as off-the-wall fanatics. And, of course, there's off-the-wall fanatics in religion. There's off-the-wall fanatics in, in the right-wing parties and the left-wing parties, wherever you want. There's, there's crazy people everywhere. So I wanted to present a really beautiful, wonderful woman who was religious. And she not only um, had a relationship with my Jewish readers out there, whether religious or not, they also had a relationship with people who are of faith. Uh, They said, thank you, not for making a person crazy. So she was the one who started. uh, But I didn't want Rena to start solving crimes like the Kemmelman series, The Rabbi Who Slept Away. That was just inauthentic. Not that fiction writing is authentic, but I wanted a little bit more within the realms of reality. So Peter came along. And she was a widow. I knew she had to be a widow because if she wasn't a widow, if she was married, she wouldn't get involved in something like that. But she was alone. And he was alone. So I said, all right, you know, you're writing a novel. You want attention. Let's throw a (laughs) romance in there. And that's how the ritual bath uh, was basically born. It wasn't a mission to uh, proselytize or to show everybody how wonderful Judaism was. It was a book that was about faith-based people who are normal people. And, you know, that's that's what true diversity is, and seeing the normality in uh, beyond the clothing and beyond the everything, going down to the basics and what makes us all human. And we all are human. Right. It's all there. So now when you look back on this body of work, this series, and you are thinking about doing different things with your life right now, focusing on what it is that you want to focus on, what is that like to sort of look at it, to take a step away from it and look at all of it and say, never intended for this to happen. This is what happened as a result of this series that I wrote. What does it make you think about in terms of 
what you would want to work on going forward and what it means to to say, okay, this is what I've been this is what I've been doing for the last few decades. I never intended, like you said, for anything to come of it. As I said, you write a book, you you hope it gets published. Then once it gets published, you hope it sells. It didn't sell much. The Ritual Bath, when it first came out in hardcover, sold 1,700 copies Mm. in all of the United States. And that was at a time where we still had bookstores. Right. It wasn't at a time where uh, um, e-books was anything. So it was not considered a rousing success. But at that time, too, people had patience. And uh, they said, okay, you can write another one. They didn't pay me much, but I didn't care, you know, (laughs) just the ability to write another one. And then the next one sold a little bit more, and then the next one sold a little bit more. As I said, when you're writing a a, um, series novel, you, you need patience and your readers, you need to build up your readership. And my publisher, which was Arbor House, then William Morrow, and it's still William Morrow, was extremely patient, and I'm glad it paid off for them. As far as fame or anything like that, it's teeny, teeny bit of fame, but in name recognition among certain groups, there's, there is the recognition. And people have said very kind things to me, and I'm very, very happy about that, mostly about how it uh, the representation of my characters are uh, realistic. Um, I, I I got it right. Well, of course I got it right. I, I kind of live that life, but there it's not only the specifics are right. The whole gestalt is very uh, relatable, and it's uh, you can't just do things on on Jewish uh, things. It has to be relatable to everybody. Sure. And I've gotten some of the most really, really nice comments from people of all different uh, types and backgrounds. And it's been really, really rewarding, rewarding, extremely rewarding. Um, And I love my characters, and I'm glad they see it the way that I wanted to present it. That's wonderful. So switching gears just for a second before we close things up here, what do you love to read or what what do you love to read these days? I'm curious if it's in this genre or if it's something completely different. I read a lot of um, mysteries. I've, right now, I'm just reading a ton of fiction, uh, nonfiction. I love biography. I love histories. I guess at a certain age, you want to go back and see things from ancient, you know, from Israel and its antiquities and up forward through the whole of Western civilization. And it's very fascinating to me. I, I love learning, and I love uh, anything. I went through a stage where I did all the American presidents. You know, there was a series. Uh, David McCullough came out with some. Um, there was. A, I went through a Lincoln phase, and it, it, it it's fun. Um, but I do like reading fiction if I can find a really good book. A lot of the fiction these days is chick lit, which is great. Uh, but it's not of my generation, and it doesn't speak to me as much. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you like to read something that's is moves you. So, right. And just curious, in terms of your the time that you spend in Israel, has that sent you in some different reading directions as well? Does do various trips and stays in Israel kind of point you in another direction? You said you mentioned archaeology, but I'm curious if there's other books or directions that you're delving into as well. 
Well, a lot of history, a lot of history of the region. I, I think it's completely fascinating. That whole cradle of civilization is very, very interesting. And yes, Israel definitely does uh, put you in a different direction when you're there. It's very hard to explain to a person who doesn't, uh, you know, s spend a lot of time there. But while you're there, you really, if you, my husband speaks Hebrew, I speak a little bit of Hebrew, you get into the zeitgeist of what's there. And it's the politics, it's very interesting you get into their politics and it's such a pleasure because you can leave your own politics alone for a while. And as a Jewish person, to be in a country where you don't have to constantly explain yourself is a freedom I have never felt. And that was from way back in 72, from my first trip where I sat down there. I normally have dark curly hair. And the first thing I did when I landed and we started walking around, I said, God, everybody looks like me here. <laughs> I said, what happened? They all look like me. And uh, it, it's, it's a very comforting feeling to be in a land with your peeps. I get it. I get it. Yes. And of course, lots of hairdressers who know how to deal with dark curly hair dark curly hair yeah you have them there you have them here that's that this is all white this is white so i said just make it blonde you know what the heck exactly have fun with it and israeli hairdressers like to have fun absolutely they do so faye kellerman it's really been a pleasure i'm just going to mention to our listeners that the book is out in late august right august 22nd i believe and, around uh, there, yeah. Right around then. That's when that's when it hits. Obviously, bookshelves and you know Kindle readers and anything anywhere that you read your books, and uh, have fun reading it. But I would say don't necessarily read it in the dark. You know, read it in the <laughs> daytime. So, although I have a very I have a very low tolerance for the fear factor, so that's me. But just making it clear for everyone else. <laughs> Thank you very, very, very much. It was a pleasure being here, Jessica. Thank you. Same. All right, listeners, tune in, and we'll be back on Sunday with our daily briefing. Until then, be well. Thanks so much for listening to Times Will Tell from the Times of Israel, and thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein. Please subscribe wherever you find your podcast and check out our daily briefing news show every Sunday through Thursday. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. Until next week. Shalom. Shalom.